Well, that was a pretty uplifting gospel reading this morning, right? The last word that I said was hell. We're going to talk this morning about everyone's favorite sermon topic, not money, but sin. That really is going to make people excited. I know. In the midst of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says something here that would have made his audience pause and wonder. He actually says a lot of things in the Sermon on the Mount that would have made his audience pause and wonder. But early on, some of what he says leads up to this very particular thing. And then what he continues to say builds off of that very particular thing. What is this important statement, this statement that would have made his audience pause and wonder, and which ought to make us pause and wonder, you might ask, and I'm glad you did. (laughs) It is, yes, well, it's chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, verse 20. So open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. If you have your Bibles with you, whether it's in the technological application device or whether it's in uh, paper, onion skin paper for most Bibles. Chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You can almost hear the train of thought of his audience going off the rails here. You can almost hear the the mental tires screeching as brakes are applied. What did he just say? Better than the paragons of virtue known for their strict adherence to the law? We have to be better than scribes and Pharisees to enter the kingdom of heaven? What is he talking about? What's happening here? What is Jesus saying? What he's about to say builds off of this particular verse. And what he has already said builds towards this particular verse. And in what Jesus goes on to reveal, what Jesus goes on to say, as Matthew records in chapter 5 and 6 of the gospel, here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reveals really just how empty and how false the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was. Because Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He reveals the depth and seriousness of sin. With it then comes the the recognition of the need for help and the drastic measures that sin requires. Over the next several verses, Jesus will repeat the phrase, You have heard it said, and then follow with the contrasting statement, But I say to you. And when Jesus does this, when he says, you have heard it said, he's reflecting back on the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. He is reflecting back on the law given to Moses, but he's also reflecting back on the misinterpretation, expansion, and reduction of the law by the scribes and Pharisees. And what we actually see is that he is not congratulating the scribes and Pharisees for their righteousness. He's actually condemning them for their unrighteousness. Because while they are able to say, I have done the letter of the law, they miss the heart of the law because they miss the heart of the matter. And their hearts are corrupted. And though they may say, I have done X, Y, and Z, the reality is Jesus shows they have failed miserably and are in their sin. 
Because Jesus follows up, you have heard it said, with, but I say to you. So if you have your Bible open, chapter 5, we'll start at verse 21. I'm going to bounce between some different verses here in 5, and I'll try to announce them when I do. Starting at verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Then look at verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Right? He's, he's repeating commandments. He's repeating that which God gave to Moses. And this is what the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees looked like. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. I'm righteous. I'm keeping God's law and I'm keeping God's covenant. Nobody can say anything about me. But then we have to notice what Jesus says in each case. Verse 22, I say to you, but I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that's where we all start pumping the brakes, right? Jesus gets to the heart of the matter here. The scribes and the Pharisees could accurately claim that they've never physically murdered anyone. They could accurately claim to have never physically consummated adultery. The problem for the scribes and Pharisees wasn't simply an external one. It is an internal one. Righteousness isn't just about what is done on the outside. Righteousness is just as much about what is happening on the inside. Righteousness is a matter of the heart. If you look back at what Jesus says in verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, and this is the, uh, in the Greek, the, the idea here is not specifically gender specific, but rather it is brother or sister. Anyone who is uh, angry with his, his person who's around him will be liable to judgment, whoever insults. Insults, this is an idea of abuse. The term here uh, in Aramaic is raka, R-A-C-A. And that is an abusive, almost swear word. And anyone, who, uh, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the counsel. Whoever says, you fool, in the Greek, the word you fool is very, very closely related, uh, even in its spelling, with what we say is moron, Right? And to call someone a moron is to question their intelligence, but also to question their, their character and their integrity. So anger, abusive insult, calling someone a moron, insulting their intelligence, their moral character, all of these things Jesus says are liable to judgment, just like murder. It was and it is absolutely true that we can not commit murder with our physical hands, all the while murdering people with our minds. Look what he says about adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It was and it is absolutely true that we can not consummate an adulterous relationship with our bodies, all the while desiring and lusting with intent in our minds. Jesus is pointing out the righteousness necessary to enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. 
The righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees because it is a righteousness that must begin with the heart and make its way out into the outer world, external. Must begin internally and then expressed externally. Righteousness is a matter of the heart. In a, in a different conversation recorded in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, Jesus says this, <clears throat> Do you not see whatever, that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The issue with the scribes and Pharisees, their hearts were corrupted. Their hearts were black. Their hearts were sinful. And oftentimes, our heart is where sin begins. Our hearts is where we find that we are a danger to ourselves and to those around us. On April 20th, 1999, Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris killed 13 people and wounded 24 others before taking their own lives at Columbine High School. Ten years after this horrific event, Susan Klebold, was Dylan's mother, wrote an article for Oprah Winfrey's O Magazine. And in that article, Mrs. Klebold wrote this. In raising Dylan, <clears throat> I taught him how to protect himself from a host of dangers. Lightning, snake bites, head injuries, skin cancer, smoking, drinking sexually transmitted diseases, drug addiction, reckless driving, even carbon monoxide poisoning. It never occurred to me that the gravest danger to him, and as it turned out to many others, might come from within. Entering Jesus' kingdom is a matter of having a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees. It's a matter of having a righteousness that is internal and is thus matched by the external. This righteousness that Jesus is talking about is a matter first of the heart. And in his words here, in his words in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus exposes the depth and the seriousness of the sinful human condition. Who in here can say they're innocent of uh, driving on Highway 98 on July 4th weekend and not been angry not insulted someone, not questioned someone's mental acuity and, and their moral character. Get out of my car and say, well, I haven't killed anybody. Yeah, but I've murdered them on my, in my mind for the last 45 minutes while I tried to go a mile. Can we, can we begin to see how horrific then, how deep our sin truly is? It isn't just a matter of what we do. It's a matter of who we are. Jesus points not just to what we do. Jesus points not just to our action towards others. Jesus points to our inner being. He gets to the heart of the matter by pointing toward a righteousness that is primarily a matter of the heart. And when we ponder our hearts, when we have moments of clarity and insight and, dare I say it, honesty, as we ponder our hearts, we peer into them, what we find is darkness. Like the Pharisees, most of the world's population can proclaim, I've never murdered anyone. 
and thus count themselves righteous. But just like the Pharisees, most of the world's population can just as easily proclaim, I have been angry, I have abused and insulted, and thus reveal that they've missed the mark of the righteousness that God requires. I mean, our reality, the reality of the human condition is that we cannot even meet our own standards of righteousness. We can't keep covenant with ourselves. Today is February 19th. How many of us have already violated our New, Year, New Year's resolutions? Right? Thank you, Super Bowl parties, for all of that. I noticed that I was the only one who raised my hand. You guys are a bunch of cowards. Cowards. Dave's over there saying, I'll pray for Caleb. But that's so true, right? A moment of levity is, is great because it helps us deal with the seriousness of the, of the situation. We can't meet our own standards of righteousness. How will we then meet God's? How will we be able to keep covenant with God? How will we be able to live according to his standard of righteousness to come into his kingdom with a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees? Perhaps now we ought to press pause and realize that coming to terms with the horrific depth of our depravity, coming to terms with the seriousness of our sin, Realizing the hopelessness of any effort to effect self-rescue is what it means to be poor in spirit. Jesus said earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Fundamentally, being poor in spirit is to be in the place of, of brutally honest recognition of our sinfulness. To recognize and to know how bad our hearts truly are. The poor in spirit are blessed because there, at the end of the rope, at the bottom of the barrel, we realize our greatest need. We realize our need for a righteousness that is not our own. We realize our need for forgiveness that we cannot earn. We realize our need for a heart that is pure. Being pure, poor in spirit means we recognize the greatness and immensity of sin and that the greatness and immensity of sin demands a great and immense Savior. Exactly what God provides in Jesus Christ. Listen to the words again of St. Paul from Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. Notice what he says in verse 23 of Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> this is an all-inclusive term. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <clears throat> what Paul means here is, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have to allow, we have to allow the depth, the gravity, and the seriousness of sin full expression. Don't deny its power. Only then, only when we have fully recognized the depth, gravity, and seriousness of sin can we then truly see the power, the depth, the greatness, the immensity, and the glory of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, in God's grace and through his faith in him, 
gives to us his righteousness, gives to us that which is necessary to enter the kingdom of God. And so the righteousness that is greater than the scribes and Pharisees can be ours by grace through faith because Jesus gives it to us. By grace through faith, Jesus' perfect heart, his perfect action, his perfect obedience, as well as the propitiation of his blood are given to us. Coming into Jesus' kingdom requires a righteousness that is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. It requires a pure heart. And I don't care who you are, you are not pure. You will not earn it. You cannot merit it. You must receive it by grace through faith in Jesus, the one who gives it. By grace through faith, Jesus gives exactly what is needed. It's not earned. It's not merited. It's freely given to those who believe. That's how you come into the kingdom. That's how you have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus. In all of the Sermon on the Mount, I truly believe that in all of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is trying to do is to get people to reflect honestly honestly upon themselves to recognize their need for him. At the end of the day, what Jesus, I think, is doing is saying, this is what you've heard, this is what you need, now come to me and receive it. There's a passage, and I think it's in Matthew chapter 11, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary, for my yoke is light. Right? Put down your burdens of sins. Put down your burdens of trying to affect self-rescue. Put down your burdens of trying to be good enough, great enough, pure enough, because you can't. There's certain freedom in being honest about who you are. There's certain freedom in saying to God, I'm a miserable sinner. Because now you can come to Jesus and take upon him, and take upon yourself his yoke. Now you can find the righteousness that you need to enter the kingdom of heaven, not because you've done it, but because he's given it. Now, coming into the kingdom of God is an act of grace. Being in the kingdom of God is an act of grace. And Jesus, here in this passage, I think he goes on to show us some things about sin itself. Sin continues. We have to recognize this. We all know this to be true. Sin continues to afflict those who believe, and it will continue to afflict those who believe until it is utterly and completely destroyed when Jesus comes again. We cannot afford to to give ourselves over to delusions of grandeur, of sinlessness while in this life. While we live on this earth, we will struggle with the power and the presence of sin. Being made alive in Jesus by grace through faith, necessarily means we are freed from the penalty of sin. It means that the power of sin over us is now broken, and it is possible for us to not sin. And it means that a time is coming when which we will be freed from the very presence of sin. The reality, the reality of a believer is that we are simultaneously, while living on this earth, simultaneously righteous and yet sinners. And this means, as Jesus points out, we must deal decisively with sin when it rears its ugly head. Notice what he says about dealing decisively with sin. Matthew 5 again, picking up in verse 23. <clears throat> Again, let me set the context. He says, if, if you've been angry with your brother, you're liable to judgment. If you've insulted, you're liable to judgment. If you've called them a moron, you're liable to judgment. <clears throat> Verse 23, so 
If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Look what he says in verse 29. Again, the context of of lusting in your heart with, with intent. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into the hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. The reality of sin's presence, the reality of sin's power, means that believers in Jesus must respond when sin comes around, must respond with drastic action. Regarding anger, notice what Jesus says. He calls upon brothers and sisters to be reconciled, to return to harmonious relationships. Even to the point, this is so necessary, the drastic action is so important that Jesus literally says, interrupt your worship, go and be reconciled, and then come back to worship. Cannot afford for anger to build to bitterness because that destroys relationships. And within the body, we cannot allow for anger to build to bitterness because that destroys relationships, it destroys unity. So the drastic action that must be taken, notice he says, if you remember that your brother has something against you, the implication is that you're the one who's messed up. Go. This is drastic action because first, you have to admit that you're wrong. And second, you have to interrupt what you're doing, make that a priority. That's drastic action. Regarding lustful intent, Jesus comments about getting rid of those things through which the images are received or through which the lustful intent is encouraged. Jesus is not calling for self-mutilation. Jesus is calling for us to take drastic actions to be done with sin. Jesus is saying, remove yourself from the situation and don't ever go back. For example, I think this is a really good example. It's, it's well known that in our modern world, pornography is a scourge that leads many men and women into lustful sin, adultery, as Jesus defines it. In our modern world, the single widest avenue of porn into our homes is the internet. So to deal decisively with this sin, as Jesus prescribes, requires drastic action. So uh, it's not good enough just to put a content blocker on the computer. It's not good enough even to, to just disconnect the internet. It's even, I think, what Jesus is prescribing here is getting rid of the computer altogether. You know, drop your Sports Illustrated uh, subscription because there's pornography that comes out yearly. Just about this time, probably. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, some of you all are nodding. I'm not sure if you guys are with me this morning or not. Far too often, you see, far too often, we are like the Pharisees. We say, I'm not that bad. I don't do X, Y, or Z. We get into that comparison, right? We end up, because of that, we end up coddling our sins. We try to, to take this wild beast and try to turn it into a pet. So we try to put it on a leash. And, and sure, you know, we, we, we'll put them away for a bit when we, when we feel really guilty. 
But we always bring them back out to feed them, water them, to pet them. Drastic action is needed. Jesus is calling us to put our sins down like we would a rabid dog. Because like the rabid dog, the sin will only kill us if we continue with it. Drastic action is needed. We need Jesus' righteousness imputed upon us for entrance into his kingdom. And we need Jesus to give us the Holy Spirit to create in us pure hearts, to give us strength to resist sin, and give us strength to take drastic measures toward sin. St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will will live. Entrance into Jesus' kingdom and life within his kingdom is not a matter of being perfect in ourselves. It's a matter of first being forgiven. It isn't a matter of of being perfect. It's a matter of intentionally keeping the covenant. It's a matter of intentionally seeking the Holy Spirit's help to drastically deal with sin, to change our lives. Life in the kingdom requires a a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It requires a righteousness that can only come from Jesus by grace through faith. And it requires drastic measures in the power of the Holy Spirit to kill sin. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Jesus reveals just how empty the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was. And he gets to that heart of the matter. And he reveals the, the, the nature of our own hearts and the condition of our own hearts. And just as clearly, he reveals our need for him. I think this is gospel. I think this is what I have to hear. I think this is what you have to hear. I know this is what the world has to hear. That they are sinners, we are sinners. All have sinned, and just as much, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us to make us righteous, to bring us into his kingdom, and then he pours out the Holy Spirit to do the necessary work that we would kill sin, that we would live for him, that he would be glorified. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious God.